Hello and welcome to another MREX podcast. I'm Sam Wilkin, Brussels news editor, and today we're going to talk about EU merger prohibitions, which apparently are like trains. You wait ages and then two come at once. Of course, the blocked Siemens-Alstom merger this week was all about trains, and we'll be talking about that in detail. But I'd also like to touch on another deal vetoed by the European Commission between two German copper producers. Here to talk us through both are Nicholas Hurst and Natalie McNellis, who have been following the process closely here in Brussels. Hello, Nicholas and Natalie. Hello. Hi, Sam. Okay, first of all, start us off, uh, Natalie, on the significance of the not one but two merger prohibitions in one day. Yeah, it's true. All eyes were on uh, Siemens and Alstom, uh, and we were waiting to to learn about that block. Meanwhile, the copper deal was uh, was trekking along, and uh, it had trouble. And so we got the two blocks on the same day. But when you look at the two cases, they actually um, seem both to follow the the principled rules that are laid down in the treaty. So in a way, they're more similar than they are different. For example, I mean, both of these cases had to do with industries that are very fundamental to the European economy and in different ways, because, of course, the railway industry touches everybody's lives. You take trains uh, and uh, um, you pay for the tickets, for example. But the copper industry, you don't realize how much all of these inputs are the backbone of our modern technology, for example, in our cell phones and also, for example, in electric cars. Apparently, the quantity of copper in an electric car by far exceeds the, the copper that we've been using in, in cars in the past. So these, these materials are very important to our everyday lives. So I guess any reduction in competition in the copper market means uh, car makers are going to have to pay more for that input and that ultimately is going to pass costs on to consumers as well. So it's just as relevant um, as as a, a merger in a more consumer-focused industry. Yeah, that's what I think there was so much interest in the Siemens-Alstom merger, but I think that the copper, uh, the copper merger also... Um, it was it was good that the commission paid close attention to it because it also has the potential to have a significant impact. Okay, and Nicholas, take us through the reasons why both of these mergers were blocked by the commission. So in the case of Siemens-Alstom, the commission said that merging these two titans of the railway industry would create a company that would, would uh, have a near monopoly for some signalling pro- over some signalling products in Europe, that means that National Rail, which is the UK railway co- company, or uh, Renfe in uh, Spain, or rather, sorry, the infrastructure manager in Spain, wouldn't have any choice when it was looking to get new infrastructure for railways in, in regional tracks and so on. So it's a very classical competition case of you're reducing the number of suppliers, and when there aren't enough, then that's a concern. Uh, absolutely. I mean, in particular, because here there were two main big supplies in, in Europe, two most prominent supplies that would be merging. So on some markets, it was described as a two to one. Oh, wow. And Natalie, similar story on the copper merger. This was two German companies called Wheel and Work and Aurobis. Yep. Uh, same story with them? Yeah. It, uh, in fact, it's perhaps even uh, more flagrant with uh, with Wieland and Aurobis because you really saw market shares that were... Um, arriving over 50% for an input. Um, And one thing that seems to really have preoccupied the commission was the fact that Wieland would have really cornered a a, a low-cost entry point for itself, and that would have made it unbeatable uh, in terms of competition. 
So in other words, it would have created a very strong position in uh, in an upstream product, something that it needed to make its downstream product, and that then it could then corner the market for that cheap supply. Exactly. Uh, and that seems very clear cut. So what then is the controversy? I mean, there's been a huge amount of talk about Siemens Alstom, uh, about European champions, about this potentially being a big mistake that Margarete Vestaya has made. Nicholas, where's that coming from? Well, I guess the whole, the whole thing with Siemens Alstom is that this was a deal between two historic companies that the pride pride of their respective countries. And it's a deal that right from the get-go had the very strong backing of the governments in Paris and, and Berlin. And for anyone that is not so familiar with what that means, that means that it, this is a deal that was supported by the European Union's two largest, most powerful, most influential countries. That means that when it was announced despite the obvious competition problems or or the obvious likelihood that there would be big competition problems, no one could imagine for a second that the European Commission, those bureaucrats in Brussels, would stand up to the governments of France and Germany and tell them that actually this deal wasn't acceptable under EU law. And why are France and Germany supporting it? So I think for France, Alstom has has had a, a difficult... Uh, run in the in in recent years, it has a very strong order book, but it's not as it's not uh, uh, in its prime. And I think for Siemens, it's uh, it was planning to spin off the railway business and uh, concentrate on key industries. And I think the two governments saw that this made sense for thought that this made sense for the companies, and they also adopted this as a grand Europe building project that they could rally behind and and uh, and show people that when they want to do something and when they tell Brussels to do something they get results. Right and we've all heard the the comparisons with Airbus we've all heard it being dubbed sort of rail bus before. Natalie how is this different from that? Why is Airbus allowed to exist and rail bus not? It's actually interesting that's something that uh, Margrethe Vester addressed when she was talking about the deal she talked specifically about Airbus and she said, you know, part of the difference is that here we have Siemens and Alstom, which are two very successful, very powerful companies in their own right. They're not having trouble competing in global markets. With Airbus, we had fragmented uh, supply companies all over Europe who were not able to stand up to Boeing. And so it was necessary to allow the creation of a champion because there wasn't one. And here, Vester's point of view is that we have two European champions here and let them keep on doing what they do best. And that brings us neatly on to the argument made by several supporters of the deal, which is that there needs to be a European champion because the next, the Boeing, if you like, the the bogeyman in the room is this Chinese company, CRRC, which they say is going to very soon come into European markets and and take them over without a European champion to defend against it. Where does that argument come from? I mean, there's a, a, let's say, a concern that uh, China has the deep pockets, and if they turn their attention to a particular market, they can support their state-owned company to take that market over. I think that in this case, the Commission's analysis showed that that really wasn't something likely to happen in the near future. And that has to do with the fact that uh, in in order to be present in the European market, you need to have certain uh, certifications. You need to be able to show 
certain technical abilities and and have a presence that China is nowhere near having. And so this this idea, which might be relevant someday in the future, isn't relevant now. That said, this is very much with the zeitgeist of the moment. It really framed well a debate that's raging across Europe uh, as we speak and will certainly rage during the European Parliament elections and is also very relevant in, uh, to the US. You know? And it's on the one hand, you have the ministers of France and Germany saying that we're about that European companies are about to be overrun by Chinese com- unfair Chinese competition and that we need to change our rules, rip up our rule book. Uh, we need to take action fast to defend Europe against this uh, imminent threat. And on the other hand, you have the position of the European Commission and probably actually quite a lot of other countries in, in Europe and perhaps the more kind of classical liberal position, but the position of the European Commission, which is basically, no, it's just the Chinese are not in Europe at moments. And in fact, they're really not that present on the world stage in these railway markets. And these companies that France and Germany portray as being yeah, on the point of collapsing are actually you know, the pride and joy of, of the European economy. They're extremely competitive on the international stage. And to serve European consumers and the whole ecosystem of companies that supply the railway industry, that build railways, that depend on people traveling by rail for, uh, to their jobs and, and so on. You know, what's in the interest of all of those people is that we keep this intense competition between these two companies mm-hmm. to make sure that prices in Europe stay low. And I can see that argument absolutely, the need to maintain competition in Europe. I think Vestaya said yesterday, you know, if we're competitive in Europe, that keeps us sort of effectively fit and strong to compete around the rest of the world. And yet we do see in the proponents of this sort of European industrial policy very well make the point that there aren't any really huge European companies, or certainly not as many as there should be for an economy as powerful as the EU's, not not only in tech, which is the very obvious place, but also in, you know, in other areas as well. European companies don't necessarily have the clout of other, you know, companies from other countries around the world. And you look at China in particular, with its state-backed companies, um, and particularly in less developed markets such as Africa, it just comes in and just builds everything with a huge amount of capital behind it. So it's all very well having competition in Europe. But how can the EU ensure its companies are competitive outside as well? I think that, you know, partly what you said about the maintaining the fitness of the European industry is 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 one of the arguments in favor of allowing um, the companies to compete against each other on an equal footing here in Europe. I think that one of the difficulties that we have with um, with China and other Asian uh, suppliers is that there is a, a concern that they are state-backed and that they have uh, unlimited resources, something that European companies don't have. And so they're handicapped in their, uh, in their efforts to conquer foreign markets. And that's something that uh, politicians need to address. They've talked about the need to address. But it's not a competition policy. Uh, it's a, this, is a, this is an international trade uh, issue rather than a competition issue. And what uh, Vester has been saying is, okay, let me do my job and, and you do yours. Yes, and we, we've got to the stage now where people are talking about uh, public procurement rules, for example, making them uh, reciprocal. So we won't allow Chinese 
companies to invest in our markets uh, unless we're equally allowed to invest in a fair way in in China's public markets. Uh, that still doesn't address the issue, however, of of competition in third countries, as it were. You know, take the case of you want to go into Ethiopia and build their railway system. Can a European company ever compete? with a Chinese company there, does it want to? And, and is there a policy instrument that does that while protecting competition at home? That's a good question. But if you look at what's happening now in the railway industry, despite everything that's said, those contracts at the moment are still being won in v- for very high-speed trains, for example, by Siemens and Alstom. The Chinese, globally, the Chinese uh, companies are not winning huge shares of the of the railway market for the moment. Then in terms of policy, is there something that you can, some policy you can adopt in Europe to make that more difficult? Well, it's it's hard to say, but there's various factors. Here. Is there unlimited desire on the Chinese side to invest in unlimited resources in subsidising grand projects abroad? Probably not. Will there be concerns in other countries about perhaps uh, security, quality, also renewing contracts with companies that have already done business in, in the country, built the infrastructure and so on. And yeah, I think there is a sort of global backlash against China at the moment, isn't there, with Huawei controversy in the US as well as Europe. So, right. so maybe that alone will be enough to, to hold off Chinese competition. I mean, I think that there's a global debate at the moment about the role of Chinese, about the way that Chinese companies have expanded across the, the globe and whether that raises concerns about security or or, or, or otherwise, or employment, because the argument runs that uh, often these grand projects are, uh, are done, are built by Chinese employees that live temporarily in the country. So there's certainly a global pushback against this situation, and it's just very hard. But at the same time, it's very hard to see how what you can do in Europe in terms of policy to yeah, ensure that Siemens and Alstom are well placed to win contracts in, say, Ethiopia. Now. There is one issue that, that's gone undiscussed, which is that just because the merger has been blocked by the European Commission, that doesn't mean that the two companies are unable to do joint ventures abroad and to join tender for the biggest uh, contracts, such as there's a huge Turkish tender that's coming out soon, which has been described as the Germans as too big for any single company other than a Chinese one to do. Well, it's not clear to me why... In that case, the two Alstom Siemens couldn't team up to... But they, they can team up and they have teamed up. So there, I think that that may be the answer to your question, that there's nothing that keeps them from uh, joining forces uh, abroad. But I think what their reaction to that would be, yes, but you're not letting us build up the synergies and the scale that we need to in order to be able to, right, to tackle the technology such, and the R&D money product, and yeah. all that sort of thing. Well, one thing's clear, it's it's a very live debate. Um, as, as you can tell, we're running along on this one, but that's fine. Um, there's one more question, I guess. Uh, where do we go next? Because there are European Parliament elections this year. There's going to be a new European Commission uh, later this year as well. Uh, several sort of very prominent people have come out to support the, um, the Franco-German position, if I can call it that, not least Manfred Weber, who's a front-runner to be the next Commission president. So is this going to be on the legislative agenda next year? And, and if so, which way do you think it will go? At the moment, it certainly looks like it's going to be on the legislative agenda. The economy ministers of France and Germany have sworn blind that 
this is yeah this is an, a case that lays bare all the deficiencies in in uh, Europe's approach to competition, and a promise to table new proposals and so on. It will be interesting to see whether that momentum outlasts the European elections, because of course this is such such kind of combative talk is good, perhaps when you're going into elections to make it look like you're not you're not to be taken lightly. The reality is, is that the competition rules are treaty rules. The existing rules were adopted by unanimity by all EU cu- countries. And would it require that to change them as well? And yes, at least to, to change the, the main regulation that sets out the framework, it would require unanimity once, once again. And it's very, it's very hard to see how, say, small countries that may, might, might have had a gripe against the Siemens-Alstom merger, and there certainly were some, it's hard to see them saying... Uh, accepting the French and German position, which is that the Siemens-Alstom merger just shows up how bad European competition law is. Right, and we mustn't forget there are other rail companies um, in Europe and, uh, you know, competition uh, is smaller in the sort of the very high-speed train sector, for example, but in other sectors there are the smaller companies that employ thousands of people and surely the government of, say, Spain, which is host to at least two train companies of significant size, it's hard to see Spain supporting something that would allow companies like Siemens and Alstom to merge and put all the power right back in France and or Germany. But that's what's so potty about the whole whole debate. As Commissioner Vesta has said, you have two governments that really want this merger to go through, but the European, the European Commission works on behalf of all 28 EU countries. And just because the French and Germans were the most vocal doesn't mean that the others didn't have strong positions on on this. Yeah, and in terms of uh, voting rights, I mean, well, it's it's complicated, but in unanimity, obviously, every vote is as valuable as as any other vote, and the size of your economy doesn't uh, doesn't translate into any extra clout, sort of politically, at least not in the formal voting system. And I think I, I think the least what we can say about this is that you do have Commissioner Vestaire uh, standing up for the rules as they exist and standing up against an intense political pressure from uh, France and Germany and doing so with her convictions, which she has always uh, protected, to protect the, the European consumer. So I think that at least you have to admire her, her stamina and her willingness to stand up. Yes, rightly or wrongly. And that is the, the question. I don't think anyone doubts that she has applied the rules absolutely sort of religiously in this case. And, you know, the Siemens boss acknowledged that as well. And he just said it was a mistake to do so. And there should be more flexibility um, in the application. In any case, that is all we've got time for today. We'll obviously be keeping a very close eye on both the fallout of the Siemens-Elston merger um, and also the, you know, any attempts to reform merger law next year, which would be very interesting indeed. So now let's say goodbye to Nicholas and Natalie. Thank you. Thank you very much. And just before I sign off, I'll remind you to please subscribe to our podcasts on your preferred platform if you want to hear more from our reporters around the world. I'm Sam Wilkin, Brussels news editor for MLEX. Bye for now.